You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, grab it, turn to Psalm 51. Uh, As we start this morning, uh, we sent an email out this week about uh, this sermon passage and the content that we are going to talk about. So if you have kids who you feel would not be appropriate uh, for this uh, sermon this morning, uh, Miss Ash and Mr. Paul, uh, they're going to have a time of teaching for the kids. So kids, come on. Uh, if you want to send your kids uh, to that, we do think that would be appropriate, and we encourage you uh, to do that this morning. Yes, my name is Cody, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so, and uh, excited to continue in our series through uh, 11 Psalms this summer, which we've titled Summer in the Psalms. Uh, We normally walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say, and we particularly come uh, to this passage, one that is, uh, we we could preach and not uh, potentially cover the context of of what David is praying, but we wanted to take time today to actually address it. So if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you. There's a black covered Bible. Uh, you can grab it and turn to page uh, 499 and follow along with us. If you're not a believer today, we want you to know that this is a safe place for you to see what God says, to hear him and to respond to him. And so uh, as we start, let me, let me ask you uh, a question Have you ever felt that your sin has kept you from experiencing the deepest relationship you can with God? Have you felt that in sinning, it is keeping you from a fuller relationship with God? I think most of us in the room would say yes. We experience times in which we go through patterns of sin or we, we fall back into sin or we, may, we, are, or we know what's going on. We know that we have sinned and so we, we hide a lot, a lot away from God. A lot of times we, we, we think that God does not want us. We think that it would be wrong for us to sin and go to Him. Have you felt distant from Him? Have you felt shame or guilt cause of sin. If that's you today, this sermon is for you. In reality, this sermon is for all of us. Anyone who calls in the name of Christ, this passage, this sermon is for you. Because our God does not stand as a judge or a harsh judge. He stands as a judge who provides mercy to those who will come to Him and receive mercy and grace, but those who will also acknowledge their sin. We cannot receive mercy and grace unless we acknowledge our sin. So what we're going to see this morning is that in David's prayer and in his song in Psalm 51, we're going to see that David appeals to God based on his character and asks for forgiveness, cleansing, and renewal. And if you are a disciple today, here's what we need to know. A right understanding of God and our sin must lead to renewal through confession and repentance. We do not find renewal 
outside of confession and repentance. That we must understand our own sin, understand that we live in a broken world and we contribute to that brokenness because we're sinful. But we also have a God whose character is magnificent and beautiful and wonderful and one that we can go to. We must understand who He is and rightly understand who we are and respond accordingly. Let me tell you a story. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a story in the Bible. There's a, a powerful person who, who has everything that he could want. He is supposed to be somewhere. Instead, he is not with the people he should be. He said he stays at home. And when he stays at home, he's, he's walking around his palace and outward, he, outside he sees a beautiful woman. And he, he thinks to himself, I wonder who she is. And so he has his servants and they go and they grab her and they bring her back to him and they say, well, isn't this uh, someone's wife? But it doesn't matter to him. He takes her and he sleeps with her and she gets pregnant. And so she sends word to him quietly because this powerful person is a king. And she sends word to him and he hears it and he understands it. So what does he do? He knows that her husband wasn't home. Actually, her husband was at war when it's the same thing that he should have been. And so he, he devises a plan to hide the sin by he brings home her husband. He, he encourages him. He applauds him and says, hey, you should go home and be with your wife. Because he knows that she's pregnant. And so... The soldier, though, he doesn't, he doesn't go and spend time with his wife. He says, my, our, our, our fellow soldiers are, at, are on the battlefield. I can't, I can't go home. Well, the king, he, he comes back and he says, well, you know, come back and enjoy a feast. And he gets him drunk and he, and he sends him home, but he doesn't go home. He sleeps with the servants. And so now what is the king going to do? How is he going to cover up what he has done? He does something even worse. He sends him back to battle and he, he talks to his, his general and he says, what we're going to do is we're going we're to put this soldier up in front of everybody and we know, we know that they're going to attack from the front. We know that they're probably going to get killed. And so the general does what the king tells him to do and he puts him up front and they go to battle and he's killed. And not only do they do that, they, they, the general uh, and the messenger cover up with King David that this is, this is what they've done. This is the story of King David. If you will read the Bible, a story of a king in which we would want to emulate. A story about a king who God says previous to this that this is a man after my own heart. God chooses King David to replace Saul who had, who had turned away from God and God chooses and He says, I don't see on the outside, but I see on the inside. So what happened? What happened to King David in which he would, would do this? He let sin crouch at his door as God told Cain. And David did not deal with it. 2 Samuel 11, where this story is, is told, is the backdrop for this psalm. 
is the backdrop for what we see David respond to. The words that you just heard read is a response to not only David sinning, but recognizing that he has sinned. Specifically, sexual sin is at the forefront of this psalm. As we come today, this may be uncomfortable for you. You may feel guilty. You may feel shame. That's not the goal. The goal is to bring the light into our lives and let it shine in places that are hard and difficult. And so, just to give you a picture of our own culture. Of our own culture, here's, here's some statistics that I think would, uh, would, would trouble you. Not just adultery, not just sex outside of marriage, but we, we understand that our culture has been sexualized in many ways. Did you know that the porn industry is a 97 billion, that's a B, billion dollar industry around the world? Papa John's and Pizza Hut are a little under $5 billion a piece. This is the context that our children are growing up in. This is the context in which we live. One in three Americans, this is old statistics, this is about five years old, one in three Americans seek out pornography once a month at least. Males who are not Christians between the ages of 13 to 24, 72% of them say that they are regular watchers of pornography. 72%. Males who are Christians who are 25 and older, 41%. This sexual sin is not something that we get to hide. It's not something that we get to come here and not talk about. It's not something that we get to just gloss over or hide away. If we want to be disciples who are maturing in their faith and we have to expose this, we have to confess our sin. I don't come to you today as a righteous man. Even in my own testimony, these are details. Most of us in the room are not people who come to this without, without sin in our hearts. And so we come to this not to hold over or lord over, but to come to, to, to deal with it. To come to, to confess our sin before God. I know right now that a lot of us in the room are troubled and burdened. Some of us are talking about this sin struggle. Some of us are not. And it's not just the males. The statistics are rising for, for ladies in our country as well. We have to talk about this and we have to confess it and we have to repent of it. And so as we walk through the psalm, there's four actions that I think we need to take. Four actions that I think we need to take in confession and repentance. Number one, recognize God's character and repent. Recognize God's character and repent. Look at verse one. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. First and foremost, David appeals to God on, on the basis of grace. 
Before you ever ask him to forgive him, David goes to God and he says, you are mighty and strong, but in grace and mercy. How could David do this? How could God receive this? Because God knows the sin. He sends the prophet Nathan to confront David. He sends him to confront him. And David is he gives him a parable. And David says, that man should be put to death. And Nathan points back and says, it's you. God knows. God knows David's sins. But David comes and not on the basis of his sins, he comes on the basis of the character of his God. David asks, on your faithful love that is steadfast, unchanging, this covenant love. David understands. With all that he's done, with all that he has committed, David still understands that he belongs to God. My question for you this morning is, do you understand, if you are a follower of Christ, that you belong to God? He knows what it means to be in a covenant family. He knows what God has done and what God will do. We can do nothing to change God's mercy and grace and kindness in our Savior Jesus. Nothing. Even the statistics, the numbers, all the things, the, sin, the sexual sin, there's nothing that we can do that can change if you are a covenant family member of God. This is the mindset that we must change. That we belong to Him. This is the kindness. This is the mercy that David goes after. He, he connects with God based on who God is and based on who He is as a covenant family member. It is this grace and mercy that even allows God, allows David to make these requests. David's confession begins with God instead of what he's done. How should that flip our confession? How often do we go to God and say, God, I did this, please, please forgive me. How often do we go to God and we, and we list the things that we've done in, in, a, in a way that we want God to forgive us, but instead we should go to God and say, God, based on your faithful love and your kindness and your mercy and your grace, please hear me. It gets the focus off of us and it gets our focus onto God. That's what David has done. How does, should this drive us to God instead of away from Him? If we're focused on God's character, how much more should we run to Him instead of hiding? Our God is gracious and compassionate and He will hear us. It's based on God's character now that David goes to Him and He asks Him, He makes His appeal. His ask is for forgiveness. He specifically asks God for to blot out that is to wipe away. Think about a book. Think about white out. Literally, David's asking God to white out over the list of his sins. That's what he's asking him to do. You cannot see it anymore, and it, it's, it's, all, it's no longer a record. You cannot find it. And David, he says to wash him. David understands. It's almost as David, he feels like he's in, in muddy, nasty clothes. And, and David asked, God, will you wash me of my sin? 
David uses three verbs here. Three terms to talk about sin. The comprehensive nature of it, but also the confession and how far-reaching his confession actually is. The knowledge of God's character causes David to ask for forgiveness, but then also confess his sin. Look at verse 3. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. David's confession is that he is both aware of his sin and how it's pervaded all of his life. And this consciousness of his sin, that means that he knows that he's aware of it, leads him to confess it. He's aware of his sin. He's sorrowful. He's, he's sorry to have committed this. And he's committed to not do this again. That's the kind of confession that we're talking about. We're not talking about confession to just get it out there and move on. It's a, it's a confession that says, Lord, I confess this to you because I don't want to do this anymore. We must acknowledge our sin. We cover it up personally. The church doesn't do a good job of talking about it or addressing sin because we don't talk about it. Specifically sexual sin. Sexual sin lives in the dark because we think that we're the only ones dealing with it or we think that it's okay because the church hasn't addressed it. We must together root this out or it will continue to loom over us It will continue to hold us bondage. We must talk about it. We must acknowledge it. If we do not acknowledge it, then we will not be able to confess it and repent of it. This sin, David says, is ultimately against God. Now, he's not minimizing what he's done to Bathsheba. He's not minimizing what he did to to Uriah. He's not minimizing what he did to his people. But what he's saying ultimately... Is that he understands the Bible teaches that we are not our own and that our neighbors are made in the image of God. And so ultimately it comes down to we have sinned against a mighty, wonderful, all-consuming God. And David says this is evil. I've done evil in your sight. Church, let me be very clear. God's standard is much higher than the world's standard. And David understood this. God's standard is much higher than the world. And folks, church, we know that if we just turn on the TV, it's easy to come across content that would be considered explicit. We know that these phenomenons that have happened, Fifty Shades of Grey and Game of Thrones, and you might watch those, but I'm going to encourage you not to watch those. Because all it's doing is it's desensitizing you to actually what's going on. Some more statistics for you. Only only 32% of young people, 13 to 24, think viewing pornography is absolutely wrong. Only 32%. Why? Because our world is shaping their worldview. It's shaping what they think is right or wrong. At this point, I was reading the research. The research wasn't, how often do you come across this content? You can't ask that question anymore. Because the question couldn't be answered because we actually don't know. With social media, with TV, 
with the internet, we don't know. It's astronomical how much this, the images, the videos. Actually, I, I also read a stat that it, there's so much video content on the internet, it would fill up every iPhone on the planet. That's how much data is being streamed on the internet. It would fill up every iPhone made in existence right now. The world's standards are not our standards. And they definitely are not God's standards. The world's standards have, what they've done is they've lured us into believing lies. Into believing it's okay. 90% of the same people that were surveyed are neutral or positive when it comes to viewing pornography. What I mean by that is they think it's neutral or it's, it's fine. Or it's even better than fine. 90%. At the end of the day, God is judge. And we must not lower the bar. We must not lower this say, well, well we want to help our, our, our teens and our young adults. No. God is the judge and He is the one who will stand and reign and He is the one whose standard we must uphold. This is what King David understands. He's the king. He can do whatever he wants. If we're being really honest, he can do whatever he wants. When Samuel is working to try to get the people to not have a king, Samuel is burdened because Samuel says, you know what, the king is going to take your daughters. They're going to take your land. David can do whatever he wants to. But he says, no, my standard is not the standard. God is the ultimate judge. In 2 Samuel, David, if you read it in chapter 11, his only thought is to how do I hide this sin? How do I hide this sin? But now the question, when, when, he, when he acknowledges it and he confesses it, he asks, how could I ever treat God this way? But if we never acknowledge or confess it or ask for forgiveness, we will not be able to understand what we've done to God. Tim Keller says this, you can... You can't be in denial about your capacity to sin. Sin is always crouching at your door. You are capable of much more than you want to admit. So the first thing you must do is get out of denial. I was in a group of uh, college guys. One of my mentors, uh, he officiated mine and Ashley's wedding. and We were talking just about some, about some of this stuff. He was talking about uh, folks that... Uh, he had married and had, had, had divorced, some that committed adultery, and there's some things going on that we were talking about that night. And he just said to us, he said, we're all one step from stupid. That's what he said. And, and he's talking to college guys, and, and we all laughed, but then he, he brought us back down. He said, no, guys, I'm, I'm being very serious. We're all one step from stupid. That's what Tim Keller's saying. Is that if, we, if we're not really honest with ourselves, then we will put ourselves in situations in which we will sin. We're all just one step away. Look at verse 5. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. At the very core of the issue, our sin is the fact that David understands that he is sinful. We're all sinful. David understands how far-reaching his sin is. That's in every part of his life. He understands how long-standing it is. He knows it's always been this way. 
In fact, he was born this way. He's not condemning his mother or the circumstances around for his mother. No, he's saying that he is simple. We believe in original sin. That not everyone, excuse me, everyone on the planet, no one is, is born with a clean slate. We don't get to choose good or evil. No. We're all born with a bent towards sin. Being children of Adam, we receive that sin nature. That's who we are. David understands that his sins are his own and they're not excusable. He understands that sin is the environment that we live in and it shows the expansiveness of sin that we live in a broken world. But why don't we openly confess and repent this? These kinds of sins. Because we want to keep up the testimony. We want to keep up the reputation We want people to think that we're doing better than we actually are. This is especially true of sexual sin. But we need, church, a culture of grace over judgmentalism and a culture of the gospel that holds up the beauty of Jesus more than anything else. But if we we create a culture in which we condemn one another, then we're never going to open up, we're never going to confess, and we're never going to repent. But if we actually are open and honest, and then then we pray for one another, and we kind to one another and hold up the beauty of Jesus, that's when the gospel will change us. That's when the gospel will actually do work in our lives. If David, who not only committed adultery, he killed somebody, covered it up, and then tried to lie about it. He's hit the, the trifecta of sin here. Like, if he can be forgiven, why can't you? Why can't you? What's holding you back from going to God and confessing these things? When we recognize the character of God, we see that we can repent and be received back to Him. Let's keep going. Look at verse 6. We're going to see our second action. Receive re- we can receive restoration to God. Receive rest- rest- restoration to God. Look at verse 6. This is where our confession leads to. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. It can be easy to leave our confession. Say it and move on. Get, get away quickly. Often we want to get it off our chest. But we got to go further than that. David is going after real life change. Look at verse 6. God desires integrity. Real life things. He wants real change in our lives. This isn't about what's going on, on the outside. It's not about going through the right motions. David is saying, I want something more than that. And notice, David is thinking God while also understanding this is something God has to do. Look at those things. God will teach me. God will make me whiter than snow. God will cleanse me. These are all future actions based on what God will accomplish. That is where our hope must lie. The answer isn't coming and doing all these spiritual disciplines. It sure as heck is not coming here every week and saying, I check the box off. That's not going to do a thing for us. It's not even coming and reading our Bibles and praying and fasting. That's not the only thing. The real catalyst for us to repent and be forgiven and confess our sins is to see God at work in our lives. God is the one that's working. God is the one who's able And we must join Him and seek with Him. But it must start with God. 
We must be dependent on God who's going to do the work. Now I want you to think about this cleansing though. Hyssop was a plant. It was used as a sprinkler. They would, they would clean things with it. It was also used to rub those who were, were uh, unclean or sick. It was used as a cleanser. And so this hyssop will be used by God to make David not just clean, but whiter than snow. Now hyssop, it, it does the job here in Psalm 51, but it, it, it leaves David lacking, right? Because it won't clean him forever. It's only through the blood of Christ that we can be cleansed and made whiter than snow, just like we sang today. It's only in the blood of Christ that we can be made white permanently. That all of our sin will be blotted away. And then David, he, he makes this transition. Look at verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sin and blot out all my guilt. When God works to restore us, we're able to reap the benefits Right, David asked God to let him hear both joy and gladness and to dance. That's not normal for someone who's done what he's done, is it? Why would David be able to hear these things? Where would he hear it? He would hear it in the community. It would be the joy of an outcast who's been, who's been sick or in sin, who's returning to the community and they are joyous and glad that, of what God has done. David not just wants to be restored to God, but he wants to be restored to his people. Restoration in the community is highly important. When we are restored to God, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're also restored to each other. It's one, it's one of the defining markers of Christian community. Right, when we confess and repent, when, we, when confession and repentance happen, it's a beautiful sight to see and experience. That's what's different than the world. The world will either condemn you or it will affirm you. And the gospel does neither of those things. It's going to confront you and it's going to change you. That's what the gospel does. But also understand that our sin is not just in a bubble. We're not just our individual packaged selves and when we sin, it doesn't do anything to anybody. We know that when we sin, we hurt others. Right? Specifically with pornography. We tell, we tell ourselves a lie that this is, no one's getting hurt. That this is just me. It's fine. 49% of families surveyed said that this was a problem in their family. And probably worse, of, the, of, the, of those who work in the industry, at least 49% said they were first trafficked before they got into the industry. They were first taken and basically sold before they actually got into the industry. 49%. This is not innocent. We also know that things like adultery don't just hurt your spouse. It hurts your family and your kids. It hurts your friends. Sin does not happen in a vacuum. Sin happens in community and it's devastating. In the midst of David's sin, though, he, in his awareness of it, he, he asked God to turn his face away. Literally to hide his face. Hide, hide your face, God. Now, this is not God to hide his face from David, but rather, it's to hide his face from his sins. God chooses not to take his sins into account. 
This kind of restoration is totally possible in the hands of an all-loving, all-gracious, and all-merciful God, which is based on the character of God from verse 1. When we confess our sins and turn to God through repentance, we can experience restoration back to Him and therefore back to community. Which brings us to our third action. Receive renewal from God. Receive renewal from God. When we are restored to God, we are allowing allowing Him then to change us. Look at verse 10. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David asked God to create a clean heart for him. This is no ordinary request. I want you to look at that word clean there in your Bibles. David is asking for nothing less than a miracle. Why do I say that? This word create is the same word for create that God does in Genesis chapter 1. Only God can create the heavens and the earth. And only God can make someone's wretched heart new and clean again. Look, David's asking for inward transformation. Not just outward. He's not just going through the motions. He's not just wants fancy new clothes. He doesn't just want, tell me what to do. No. David is asking God to give him a new heart. In reality, David is asking God, God, give me your heart. I want your heart. And God promises to do this in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. He says, I'm going to take that heart of stone. I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh. I'm going to write my laws on your heart. I'm going to cause you to follow me. That's what God can do. But see here, church, the process of change, of transformation is long. It's long. We talk about making mature disciples, those who are being transformed into the image of Christ. That is a long process. We're not here for flash in a pan stuff. We're here for long, arduous, difficult, messy transformation. That's what we're here for. This is not, it's not to everybody look great on the outside, and it's not great to, hey, Sunday mornings are wonderful, and no, everybody looks great, and nobody's struggling with sin. That's a lie. It's a lie. And we are not going after that. As a church, we're going to go after people who are dealing with their sin in community and they're working to know God in Christ deeper so that they are changed and they look different. And at the end of the day, their hearts are clean and made right. And let me be really honest with you. The science out now, when we're talking about sexual sin and pornography and those kinds of things, it changes your neuropathways. This is an extremely difficult thing to deal with. It's going to take a long time, a long time for us to deal with these kinds of sins. But we are committed to doing this work together. And here's the deal. You're not going to find this renewal outside of anything else in the gospel. You will not find it in in the workplace. You will not find it in fame or money or family. You will not find it in anything else other than the gospel that can actually change you. The gospel is what renews us. It isn't us just coming and, and, and doing the things that we're supposed to do. Look at verse 11. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Purity, righteousness, that is, is the basis on which we can go to God. 
This is why David has asked for God to clean his heart. So that he could continue to experience the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. This is how and why David could ask for God to keep the Holy Spirit. Like, don't banish Him away from me. Why? Because you've given me a clean heart. I want your presence. I desire this. Give me, keep your Spirit in me. David knows the, the consequences of, of the removal of God's Spirit. He saw it happen to King Saul. And he saw what happened to him. So David begs him, do not take your Spirit from me. He wants to have a relationship with God. Church theology is knowing God. But the end of theology is not knowledge. The end of reading your Bible and knowing theology is not more knowledge, but rather transformation. Transformation by experiencing and knowing this same God. It doesn't matter how many times you've read this book. It doesn't matter how often you memorize it. If it's actually not changing you, if you actually don't want to know the God that it's about, then it doesn't mean anything. We come to this, we come to this so often and say, I'm just going to check it off or I'm going to read and I just want to, I just want to know what the Bible says. But in reality, we need God to know what our heart believes. This is a real temptation for us. Salvation, purity, righteousness is something that God does. And so it's power, and we cannot lose it. But we can lose the joy of that salvation. We can lose the enjoyment, the ability to, to actually enjoy what God has done. Why? Because we have unconfessed sin, or we're not repentant, or we've let habits build in our lives, and which is are taking us away from God. So David asks, he says, restore to me the joy of of your salvation, God's salvation. How is this done? He says, through a willing spirit. David is asking for God to give him a willing spirit, to give him a volunteer spirit. Let me desire you over everything else. David does not just want to get out of hell free card. That's not what David's doing. He doesn't just want his sins wiped away. He wants God. That's what he wants. When he's broken and his sin has been revealed and he confesses and repents of that, it isn't just to get, it, to get a free pass. It's to know the God that has forgiven him. We've cheapened confession and repentance in a lot of ways. The gospel is not just about getting out of hell. It isn't about not having pain when we die. The gospel is being made right with your Creator and then being able to experience Him forever. The Bible descri describes heaven in a lot of unique ways, in a lot of beautiful ways. But at the end of the day, those don't compare that we're going to get to be with God for forever. It doesn't matter if the streets are gold. It doesn't matter if my, my grandfather is there and he loves Jesus and I get to see him again. It doesn't matter. Why? Because God is the one that I get to be with forever. And if we miss that, we're missing the truth of the gospel. We are not preaching the gospel. We're not experiencing it when we don't say, this is what you get. Oftentimes, church, we talk about we want our children to know God absolutely, but then we, we, we say to them, do you not want to go to hell? No! Of course, 11-year-olds don't want to go to hell. Who, who does? If we don't tell people that what it means to, that you get God forever, that's, that's the gospel that we hold up. 
That's the gospel we proclaim. And I'll say this. When you don't desire Christ more than your sin, you will lose every time. If you don't ask God to change you, you will lose every time. If you don't love Jesus and desire Jesus more, you're going to keep going back to that sin. What's the result of our restoration and our renewal? Proclamation. Look there at verse 13. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Because David has been forgiven, because he indeed does hold to the hope of salvation in God alone, he's empowered to speak about what God has done. David's confession and forgiveness and renewal are done in some aspect with each other. But with other people. They are communal acts. They are celebrated together. When David comes back to hear the joy of salvation, it's celebrated as we see God work through us, through you. We get to celebrate what God is doing. We get to see God, He's doing what He said He would do. And these characteristics, these kinds of things that we're proclaiming and we're receiving and we're helping people confess sin, that's the that's the true mark of Christian community. That's when we know that transformation is dug down deep and it's happening. Is this not the beauty of the gospel? We don't share because God has commanded us to, although He has. We get to share about what God has done in our lives. We get to share because we have stories that have to be told. It doesn't matter if you were saved when you were seven, you were saved when you were 77. It doesn't matter. God has changed a sinner's heart from stone to flesh. God has taken someone who was destined to be separated from Him forever and now brought Him into His marvelous light. This is the testimony that we get to share. When we experience this deep kind of renewal, we are now trophies for God to display. We now get to share, this is what God has done. Now what's the final action? In a lot of ways, these three kind of cultivate. They, they find their end in this final action. In verse 14. Respond in reverent worship. Reverent worship. Look there at verse 14. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed God. God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. In light of what God has done, that restoration and renewal, David will, will respond in reverent praise. These two verses form a you do this and I'll do that kind of construction. David asked God to save him, to deliver him from this guilt of bloodshed. Literally, uh, the Bible says bloods. He's, guilt, he's, he's delivered me from bloodshed, from blood. This is in reference to him killing Uriah. But notice, this deliverance is not from the consequences of his actions, but from the guilt. You see, the guilt that David had because of his sins had created a trap over his mouth and he would not praise God. It had had shut his lips. But when God delivers him, he will sing about his righteousness. And not only about God's righteousness, but about God's ability to make others righteous. As the Lord opens his lips, he will bear further witness of the Lord's salvation. Full forgiveness leads to public praise his guilty conscience has been shamed into silence his lips were shut because of his sin 
and his guilt glued his mouth shut. But oh, how forgiveness frees us to sin. It sets our souls free and liberates us to praise God. And look, look what David does in verse 16. He comes to the realization of what true religion and true worship is. He says, you do not want a sacrifice or I will give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. David gets to the heart of the matter. He says that God does not want a sacrifice. He's not pleased with burnt offerings. God does not delight in sacrifices, meaning that He does not want them. He does not desire them. But does this contradict what the Old Testament's about? I don't think so. Why should David? Why should we understand David's comment this way? We should understand it as not this without that, not this without that. What do I mean? You can't have a sacrifice without the right heart behind it. Even the best-looking gifts, if our hearts are not changed, are hated by God. Our hearts have to be sincere. The sacrifice that God desires is a broken and humbled heart. This brokenness is, is this taking out pride. I went to the, to the dentist this week. I hate going to the dentist. And uh, they told me I have to have a root canal. And that, that image, though, it, the image, though, is really what's happening here. God is digging down in David's heart and he's rooting out the pride here. That's the kind of heart that God wants. To be totally exposed and totally open. David's been humbled because he understands what he deserves. But he also knows that he's experienced mercy and grace and forgiveness. Our hearts must be changed. Our hearts must be changed. In all of this church, my prayer for you is not to be beat down. My prayer for you is to be encouraged but challenged to live to the standard of what God has said. And the only way you can do that is to place your faith in Jesus. It's the only way. You cannot bring sacrifices. You cannot live this way. You will not beat this sin. If you are entangled in this, these kinds of sexual sins, you will not be delivered on your own. You won't be able to do it. We have to have a relationship with God through Jesus and then be empowered by His Spirit to live like Christ. Prayer for you is that you experience a gospel that is so deep and rich that you don't ever want to go back to anything in this world. Will you pray with me? God, I ask that you would help us today. I know that the enemy is working even now in our hearts and minds. Would you remove him? Would we come to this and would we confess and repent of our sin? God, we. We need you to do this. We love you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Church, every week, I tell you, it doesn't matter if you're not a Christian or if you are a Christian, especially if you're a Christian, you come and you respond to this. We receive God's Word and we respond to it. And so today we have the opportunity to do that through the Lord's Supper. So if you don't, if you don't have it, it's, it's there in the back. You, you can grab uh, a cup and a wafer if you don't have one. But here's the deal. If you are not a believer today, you do not need to take this. This is only for Christians. It's only for people who have submitted their lives to Jesus. 
If you are, are, you know, maybe some of the kids stayed in here. If you're a child, you profess faith, but you've not been baptized, we're going to ask you not to take this either. And we also say if you're not a, a member in good thing with your local church, we ask you not to take this because it is weighty. But before we take this, I want to read to you the last two verses of Psalm 51. In your good pleasure, call Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the righteous sacrifices, hold burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. These last two verses demonstrate the community's need for what David prays. The, the prayers that do good to Zion, do good to our community. Help us. Then we will do what you've asked. When we have a right heart, then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings, and bulls will be offered. Right? We don't come to this to provide, to give sacrifices. Jesus has been sacrificed on your behalf, on my behalf. And so we come to this, it's not that God is asking us to sacrifice. No, it's for us to trust in the sacrifice that's been made now for you. And we do this, we are acknowledging the full atoning sacrifice of Christ on the cross for us. That's the sacrifice that we remember. That's the sacrifice that we partake in. And if we want church, if we want God to do something here, to build a strong church family, then this is, then we have to confess and repent of our sin. If we want God to work and bring revival in this area in Wake Forest, Youngville, across North Carolina and the world, then we, it has to start here. And I know every fiber of your being is telling you right now, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to do that today. Or, I, or I'll, I'll, just, I'll just do this quietly. What I'm going to do, I'm, I'm, I'm changing this a little bit. Nate, can you, can you come up? And the team can come up in a second. Take the Lord's Supper with you. Nate's going to play. I think right now we, we just need a time that we're going to pray. Before we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to pray and confess our sin. These steps are open, but there's nothing special about these steps. You can come and pray. You can pray in your seat. You can confess your sin to somebody else. Take time right now to pray and confess sin to God. And then, when our hearts are broken and our spirits are made new, then we will take and remember the sacrifice that God has done. Take and pray for just a moment. God, we come to you today as people who understand that we are sinful. We understand that there have been lots of ways that we've sinned against you. Specifically, God, I know that there's a number of us in the room who have dealt with the kind of sin that David has dealt with in multiple ways. God, would this be a safe haven for us to, to know your grace and your mercy? Would this be a place where we are restored and renewed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? But would this also be a place where your gospel is held as a standard over all things? Would the gospel be the thing that we desire most over all things? Would we desire you above all things so we may tell and proclaim the glories 
of your gospel. It's this prayer that we have today. That we ask you. We come to you. In Jesus name. Amen.